Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we are going to be finishing up Parshas Matos with Matos Shvi'i. This is the last Aliyah and it is about the condition of B'nai Gad and B'nai Reuven. As you remember from last Aliyah, they made a request from Moshe Rabbeinu to have this deal where they would settle in the Transjordan East Bank lands and agree to send their troops ahead in the meantime to help conquer Israel to, and then keep their land on the East Bank, which was good for their sheep. Our Aliyah is 23 Pesukim long and it runs from Perek Lamebe's Chof to Membez. Basic summary and then uh, a few points to ponder. So we're told that Moshe Rabbeinu makes a condition with them. And by the way, there's a lot of halachic parameters which are learnt out of this, of what's what's called a t'nai kofl, a doubled um, condition, and they have to have the t'nai is koedem lemaisa, that the condition comes before the action which triggers it, and has to be positive before negative. A lot of halachas are learnt out of the way that Moshe Rabbeinu structures his words. The Gemara discusses that at great length, but nonetheless, just this is what Moshe Rabbeinu says. If you agree to come to, uh, uh, as an army to battle in Israel, with your brothers, then uh, until the end of the conquest, then you can return to your land, and you'll be Nikiim, you'll be cleansed of your your uh, your oath in front of Hashem, and you can inherit the land which you stand in now. But if you don't do as agreed, you will have sinned. Okay, so Moshe Rabbeinu makes it very clear, and um, they then he he suggests to them that they build their cities for their children and corrals for their their, their flocks, and they should keep their words. Um, notice that Moshe Rabbeinu switched the order that family comes before assets, which is not the way they said it. The Beregal and Reuven. I repeat the condition exactly as Moshe says it, and they agree to it. Moshe then summons them in front of Elazar, Yoshua, and the leaders, and makes makes the condition publicly, and they acknowledge it publicly. It's important because Moshe Rabbeinu knows he's not going to be there to see this come to fruition, so he needs to have it on the record that when they finally do come into the land of Israel, this will be kept. This is going to be another 14 years from now, seven years of conquest and seven years of division of the land. We then hear um, about a description of all the cities that Moshe Rabbeinu gives them. He gives them the lands of Sichon and Og, which they conquered at the end of Parshas Chukas, Bnei Ruven, Bnei Gad, and also half of the Shevet of Menashe, which is new. We then hear a, a, a description of all the cities they decide to build up, and we hear about some new conquests which are made. The children of Machir go and make further conquests in the area of Gilad on the east bank of the Jordan. And then we hear about Yair, who conquers an area where he, which he calls Chavos Yair, and then an area called by, conquered by Novach, and a city called Kanas, and he calls it Novach. The city is called Novach after his own name, and that is the end of the parasha. So a few basic questions to understand over here. The most pressing question on this Aliyah is what does Menashe have to do here? Menashe never made any request to be on the east bank of the Jordan. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu inserting them into the east bank of the Jordan? And it's not just Menashe, it's half the tribe of Menashe. What is going on here? I once heard from Rav Yoel bin Nun who said the following. He says that Yosef was the tribe or the individual who is really Machabev Eretz Haaretz. He really loved the land of Israel. We see this in many ways. The, Yosef commanded that his bones be taken up to Israel. He was the one who who's the children of Ephraim broke out of Egypt early to try to fight to get into, into Israel. The Benost Slavchad, in fact, Slavchad, according to one opinion, it was one of the Ma'apilim who tried to get access to Israel even after they were barred access. That he really loved the land of Israel. Well, what Moshe Rabbeinu realized was something very obvious. Is that if you put these two tribes in the Transjordan, it's all very nice. They're going to send postcards. We'll do joint, joint cultural affairs together. But slowly but, but surely, the divide is going to deepen and they're going to become, they're going to secede from the Union. They're going to be their own state. We need to have an everlasting connection between the East and the West Bank. So what did he do? He took the tribe which most appreciated the land of Israel coming from Menashe, the firstborn 
of Yosef, and he splits them in two to really be the cohesion between the East and the West Bank. So because they're only half a tribe, so families would be visiting each other and cousins and uncles and would always be, and there would be constant traffic between East and West, and that would be able to maintain the connection. Rav Moshe Sternbach in his Sefer Tam Vadas on the Torah points out that this may even be a tikkun, a correction of the chait of Mechiras Yosef. Yosef, although he may have been correct in the way he dealt with his brothers and the way he reported their actions to his father, it was well meant, but in the end of the day it, caught, it caused a, a tear in the family of Yaakov. The brothers hated him he, and they sold him down the river and it turned into a terrible, terrible discord and the ripping up of the, the children of, of Israel. And that being the case, this is a certain, in a certain sense a tick on here, Yosef is ripping himself apart into two but in order to create the cohesion between East and West. This is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants of them, is in order to create the cohesion between both sides. Finally, one fascinating observation over here is this, this individual by the name of Novach. If you've never heard of Novach, that is well-founded because Rashi points out this is the only time in Tanakh is found. In fact, if you look at the, the way it's, it's, um, it's uh, voweled, though it should be Vayikra Lo, he called it, the city, should have a mapik hay, indicating possession. It's missing the mapik, so that means to say it's almost as if his possession of the city was not long-lasting, and that's true. Novach is never mentioned again in, in Tanakh as well. Rashi quotes Rimosha Darshan, who says that he, the city never was long-lasting in his name. He never, really, he never was able to maintain this conquest for a long time. And in fact, there's even a uh, very strange cantillation on the law, um, under the word law, to indicate that something strange is going on over here. Why is this? Why is this so relevant to us? I came across a fascinating observation of Rav Shimon Schwab um, in his commentary on the Torah where he points out the following. Look, here you have two individuals. You have Yair and Novach. They both make conquests. And Yair's conquest, we hear numerous times. We hear about it in other, many other Sifri Tanakh about the area called Chavos Yair. Chavos Yair was named after him, but Novach never appears again. What was the difference between the two? So Rav Schwab says an incredible insight. He points out that when Novach conquered the city, he identified with his asset to the degree that he became him. He calls it Novach in his own name. Yair was not like that. Yair conquered the areas, and he was successful like Novach was, but he called it Chavos Yair, the villages surrounding areas of Yair. There's my possessions, and they belong to Yair. But Yair, without possessions, is still Yair. Novach, without the city, Novach was not Novach. He became that you know beautiful plaque on the front of the city which said Novach. That was who he was. When, you become, when your identity becomes wrapped and entrenched, with an item, with an asset, when I expand my personality to something, something, and that becomes who I am, then it's very easy to lose that something and to lose your personality. Yair never lost his personality. He had Chavos Yair. I have my possessions, but I'm me. So these possessions don't define me, and other people's opinions about my possessions, and my assets, and my subscribers, and my, and my net worth, those do not define me. Those are attributes which belong to me. So that is perhaps the greatest way to create longevity is to be independent of one's assets, to be independent of one's achievements and be a person oneself. That's what's being just, uh, described to us just in the missing dot, the Mapike, at the end of the parasha of Ayikra Law, Navachushma. With this, we close. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.